We will be looking this evening at Proverbs 6, verses 1 through 19. As we get more advice from Solomon, this week, learning what sort of person we ought not to be. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Proverbs chapter 6. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor, Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, Officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep? A little slumber? A little folding of the hands to sleep? And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we we ask this evening, Lord, that You would give us wisdom, that You would give us a warning through these three persons, and that You would point us to the great example, the one we are to follow, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Examples are good for us. But there are different kinds of examples, aren't there? I think we all have experienced either personally or with our children or younger ones, sometimes the lack of acceptance of pointing out to them someone that they should be like. It doesn't exactly endear us or the situation to constantly be pointing and saying, why can't you be like your older brother or sister? Why can't you be like your aunt or uncle? After a while, 
I think we begin to sound a bit like the adults in Charlie Brown. Wonk, 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 wonk. It just doesn't capture the imagination. But I think sometimes if we do the opposite, if we have an opportunity to point out those who are not following along God's path and they get to see the consequences that come from it, it may be far more effective than all of our speeches and all of our exhortations to simply let our young people observe people who are obviously not following the Lord. They're paying the price for it. They may not say anything. They may not look at us and say, well, Mom and Dad, you're the smartest people ever. I'm so glad you pointed this out to me. But I think it sinks deep into our conscience, doesn't it? And so this evening... Solomon shows us three people not to be. There are three types of people here in our passage that we ought to be very conscious not to be like. The first is a surety. That is someone who guarantees for another. The second is the sluggard. We might know it by a more colloquial term, the lazy bones. But lazy doesn't begin with S. The surety, the sluggard, and then finally, the third person, the scoundrel. The one who wants to sow discord and disharmony, who enjoys pain and sorrow. So let's see what these three people are like and what the advice is that Solomon gives to us, how we can avoid their path. The first we look at is the surety. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, then you are ensnared, Solomon says. And what he is saying here is do not be entangled up in the problems of another. Now, what's happening here is someone is putting up surety for someone else. They are guaranteeing the debt of another. But we have to avoid making the Proverbs mere snippets of wisdom and take them in their context. What the Proverb is not saying, and what some will tell you it says is, you should never guarantee a debt for anyone ever under any circumstances. Look, there's a verse in Proverbs that says this. I think it's perfectly acceptable, Dad, for you to help guarantee your children as they move into adulthood and get their first car, perhaps, or they need help with college. This is not an absolute prohibition. And we know this because as we compare Scripture with Scripture, Paul actually says in Philemon 18, that if Philemon has has been wronged at all, or is owed anything, Paul says, charge that to my account. You see, he is willing to pay the past debt of another. There is more that's involved here. There is a broader scope of wisdom. It's not just about debts. It's not just a formula. But do you see what's happening here? Security is being pledged for a neighbor that is a stranger. And now we see the wisdom here. Don't get entangled in the affairs of others that you don't know well. Whether it's their debts or whether it's the things that they go and do. You know what this is like, don't you? It's the 
Conversation that goes on in every household. Mom, I'd like to go and do X. Well, who are you going with? How well do we know him? You see, if we don't know someone, we don't know what path they're on. And we don't want to get entangled in that. You could get in a situation that you can't get yourself out of, just like here we see in Proverbs 6. He doesn't know the debtor well, and he doesn't know how much debt there is. He also gets entangled beyond his own means. Because you see, he's giving surety for a debt that he's not able to pay. Do you see that? If this debt comes home to him, if the guarantor has to pay, he will be ruined. He is ensnared. The the language that's used is like one of a bird or an animal caught in a trap. And we know what happens to those that the hunter catches. You see, legal entanglements that go beyond our control trap us. We are unable to get out of the situation and we are here trapped by our own words, trapped by a bravado that we have. And if that doesn't describe 21st century America, I don't know what does. From our government that makes promises it cannot keep to our companies that make promises that they cannot keep to you and me all the time saying that we will do things that are not within our power. We would do well to listen to James where he says, Do not promise anything, for your life is but a vapor. But if the Lord wills, then you will do. If we're entangled, we are trapped, we are at the mercy of another, well then, how do we avoid this? How do we not be like the surety? Proverbs gives us the answer. Then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. The very first thing that we must do is recognize the gravity of the situation. How many times have each of us been in a situation where we have downplayed the seriousness of it? And that has made it all the worse. We assume that we can get out of the situation. We assume we can handle it. We assume it is no big deal. And in order to show bravado, we dig ourselves deeper in the mire. The second thing that we must do to avoid this is simple. We need to act. Do you see this? Do this, son. Go, hasten, plead. Don't put your eyes to sleep at all. Don't waste a moment. Go and take care of this. This is not something you should wait on. This is not something that will work itself out. Oh, isn't that not our cry so often? Oh, I don't need to worry about this. It'll all work itself out. No, Proverbs says. You have to be urgent. You have to hasten on. The verbs that are used here are very vigorous, active verbs. Hasten, plead, be urgent. And thirdly, we must be ready to be humbled. The verb here for to hasten could also be translated to be beat down, to humble oneself. You see, sometimes when we get in a situation beyond our ken, we must admit that it is beyond us. We must humble ourselves, and there is where the solution is found. You see, too much pride leads not to being humbled. 
It leads to humiliation. Don't be a surety, Solomon says. The second person we are not to be is the sluggard. We see the sluggard throughout the book of Proverbs. And if we were to put this in 21st century language, we would say, don't be lazy. Now, what does a sluggard look like? For some of you, you're thinking, you can't help thinking of these small, slow-moving bugs called slugs. Well, that's not a bad image in your mind. Because the life verse for the sluggard is, don't rush me. Don't push me on. You might think of the sluggard this way. You know when you get up in the morning and you have in front of you a well-prepared breakfast, say pancakes or waffles and sausage and eggs, and you get out the syrup and you go to pour it, and if it's really good syrup, it takes somewhere between 15 and 20 minutes to come out and cover? It slides out slow and thick. Remember those old syrup commercials. That's the sluggard. Everything about him is slow and thick. He's a man of excuses. He will not start things. Look at what the proverb says. How long would you get up, please, sluggard? Get out of bed. No work gets done with your head in the pillow. No one needs more than eight hours of sleep. Get moving. He doesn't start things, but he doesn't finish things either. Proverbs 19, verse 24 says, the wonderful image, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Now, get the image. The way that the ancients ate was they would have a dish full of food and they would go and they would get the food and bring it to their mouth and eat. And the sluggard gets tired halfway through. He can't even manage to finish eating. He can't start and he can't finish But he also won't face things. Proverbs 26 says, The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. How many times have you spoken to someone that can give you 150 good reasons why they shouldn't have to do something? Or why the work didn't need to be done? He won't face things. Proverbs 22 and verse 13 has this wonderful image. The sluggard says, there is a lion outside. There is a lion in the streets. It's too dangerous. I can't go. I can't do this. The sluggard does not plow in autumn, Proverbs 20 says. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. When the plowing is to be done, he says, it's too cold. I don't want to do this. What happens to the sluggard? Well, the sluggard is a failure. Now, I want you to notice something we're going to see again. There is a progression here. Look back at verse 1. The warning here is not to be a surety. And how does the proverb address it? My son. And now, in verse 6, there's no term of endearment. The sluggard is a step down from the surety. Go to the ant, O sluggard. The proverb says, you see, laziness leads inescapably to ruin. Now, let's be clear. Not all ruin is 
a result of laziness. We don't look at someone who's going through a difficult time and say, it must be because they're lazy. But we should not be surprised if someone is lazy that it leads to ruin in their life. The consequences are relentless. And in the vivid imagery of the Proverbs, it says, poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. There is a relentless seizing of the consequences. And the consequences cling to us. These two words for robber and armed man are also used in other languages to refer to things like a vagabond or a beggar. It's not just that they come upon us. It's the sort of thing you can never get rid of. Anyone who has ever met a squeegee man in New York City or some other city knows how difficult it is to get them to leave you alone. The proverb says that's what poverty is like for the sluggard. Even when you try and get it away from you, you can't. Because it will come upon you. Well, how do we avoid this then? How do we avoid being the sluggard? The proverb gives us advice. Verse 6, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Now, consider the ant. It's a small creature. It's not a brilliant, wise creature. But the ant is motivated. Do you see? It doesn't have any chief officer or ruler. No one behind it with a whip. No one saying, you have to do, you have to do, you have to do. Be motivated. Husbands, don't make your wives nag you to do things. It's not godly. Wives, don't make your husbands frustrated to ask you continually to do things. Young people, do not make your parents ask you over and over again to do things. Be motivated. Be a self-starter. And work hard. Do you see the ant? He works hard. The ant prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. There is hard work to be done. And there is preparation for the future. Now, The ant understands that this work has to be done. And so it does it. It doesn't necessarily take joy in every aspect of the work. But to avoid failure, to avoid the consequences, we need to consider the ant to be motivated to work hard and prepare for the future. The third person that we are advised not to be, is the scoundrel. Look at verse 12. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech. Now notice the steps continue to go down. We went from the son to addressing the sluggard, and now we're just talking about the scoundrel. The proverb isn't even addressing the scoundrel. It's treating him like a third person. He is a wicked man, but he is also a worthless man in the very sense of the word. The scoundrel is one that is not worth anything. There is more trouble than anything else. That is the one who does not contribute positively because you see his priorities are all backwards. 
He is a man with crooked speech. He is perverse. One of my very favorite words from the old King James is used here. He is froward. He is perverse. Crooked. Twisted out of shape. Not what he should be. And you see, because of this, he is upsetting to the unity of the community. You see, he doesn't have a place in the community because his goals are not the same. He is actually acting contrary to the goals of the community. You see, he goes about with wicked, with wicked speech and with perverted heart, he devises evil, continually sowing discord. He's constantly trying to draw others into his mischief. He wants to see things go badly. He wants to see others fail. The problem here is is that the scoundrel needs to understand he is opposing the Lord. And because of that, ruin will come of it. Look at verse 15. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. You see, you can't prepare against or conspire against the Lord. He will see justice. There is no remedy here for this kind of disunity and discord and wickedness. Because you see, the Lord hates this. And He gives us a good example of of what this means. The proverb uses imagery that we all can understand. He uses concrete, personal examples of things that we know, have experienced, have seen. Now, it is not an exhaustive list. Whenever the Bible uses phrases like six, seven, three, no four, it's examples. And the last example is the most important, but it doesn't mean there are only seven things that the Lord hates. But it's a good set of examples. The list is not exhaustive, but it is extensive. It covers both our thoughts our words, and our actions. What is it that the Lord hates? Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. He hates haughty eyes. He hates arrogance and pride. You know what that looks like, don't you? We've all seen it. It's the eye roll. Right? It's that look that says, oh, I am so much smarter than you. Why are you wasting my time? Oh, do I have to listen any more to you? We hate it when we see it, don't we? It makes anger boil up in us. Because you see, there's no respect there at all. It's an attitude of arrogance. A lying tongue. That is someone who has absolutely no regard for the truth. We've experienced that also, haven't we? We've experienced pain or inconvenience because someone else has had no regard for the truth. They've either failed to tell us what's the case or they have led us astray. And then what makes it worse is often they think it's no big deal. Just that we are the ones who have been hurt. Hands that shed innocent blood. Those who are violent. But... Perhaps even more so, those who have no control over their anger. 
think each of us has at times been on the other end of that. The other end of a screaming match of someone who can't control their anger. The fourth thing is a heart that devises wicked plans. That is, someone who has no regard for others, who only wants to get themselves ahead, and they don't care who else they hurt. You can see why the Lord would hate this. You can see why this would cause discord in the community. You know, someone who climbs up the ladder of success by stepping on the backs and heads of others does not exactly make for a pleasant community. Does he? The fifth thing is... Feet that make haste to run to evil. That is, those who have an absolute enthusiasm for evil. They want to see evil. They want to see things go badly for others. It gives them a sense of glee, a giddiness. Somehow they are made to feel better when others feel worse. The sixth thing we see is a false witness who breathes out lies. And this is more than just a lying tongue. This is someone who subverts the very sense of justice. We see this all the time, don't we? And it doesn't matter what the facts are. It doesn't matter who's to blame in the latest news story. One thing that we all can agree on is that we want justice to be seen. And when there is no justice, whether it's the authorities not standing for justice, or whether it's protesters not standing for justice, or whether it's both not standing for justice. We are outraged. We don't see any benefit from the subversion of justice. Because you see, what this leads to is the seventh and most important thing that God hates, one who sows discord among brothers. It breaks apart our society. We see more and more of this today, don't we? We think back wistfully to the days a generation or two ago when society seemed so much politer, so much more friendly, so much more communal. And we lament this. We say things like, we need more community in our midst. We lament this in the church. The church seems less communal. The church seems less unified. And you see, the problem that comes from this is that there are people actively seeking their own benefit at the expense of others. Well, how do we avoid this? How can we avoid being the scoundrel and being the source of disunity and discord? Well, we can do what we have been doing this evening. We can listen to wisdom. We can understand that there is a warning and a problem We can understand that there is a moral order to the world and that moral order reflects the character of God. It's not random. It is who God is. And we can promote a sense of community in our own midst. We could be the antidote, as it were, for the scoundrel. You see, these are three people that are dangerous to our society to the church itself. A foolish surety. A sluggard. A scoundrel. 
And you see, the Scripture tells us we are not to be like them. We are not to follow after them. The Scripture holds us up to us the example of the one who never took on a debt that he could not pay. Who never shirked away from a work. And whose work was always about uniting the people of God The Scripture calls us to follow and to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. For He is indeed wisdom. That is the great solution to this problem. It is to know and to follow and to trust the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have given us these examples These examples to remind us to be on alert. Lord, we ask that as we go about the work that is before us this week, that You would help us not to take on more than we could. Not to guarantee things that are beyond our means for our own pride's sake. Not to be lazy, but to be hardworking and to be organized that others might see Your glory. And most of all, Lord, not to be a source of discord, but to bring others together, to be builders up. This we ask in Christ's precious name. And all God's people said, Amen.